Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Anisha Ramakrishna, and I'm an Indian entrepreneur and TV personality with big dick energy. You may know me from Bravo TV's Family Karma and, of course, social media. I grew up in a very conservative Indian family, but I have always forged my own path and live life on my own terms. I recently left my successful career in New York City and my long-term relationship to pursue my own fashion business. I'm single in my mid-30s, and I live with my parents. I'm currently cringing, and I know you are too. Join me as I spill the chai on my own cringeworthy personal life experiences every Thursday, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You are in charge of your own happiness. Like a significant other can come in and they can help you, definitely, but your happiness really is your responsibility. And I think, you know, when we lean on a partner, we can become codependent. It's about like, Hey, this is how you can help me through these moments, but you also have to do the work within yourself, definitely, in order to get to a place where your relationship can be really healthy and that person can be in that place where you're not relying on them, but they can definitely make a difference in your support system. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everybody. This episode is going to be fun. And I know you're probably shocked, like, but this is about trauma and mental health and there's a therapist involved. But that's what I think is so special about today's guest is she makes conversations about mental health feel cathartic and they relieve stress. And it just puts the conversation around mental health and things that are usually scary in such a different light. Joining me is licensed therapist and owner of her own private practice, Lindsay Fleming. She also has over 300,000 followers on social media where she's known for her relatable, informative, and empowering mental health videos. She's the first from her family to graduate from college, and her unique approach to counseling, anxiety, depression, and trauma is one that will make you feel just more accepted and safe when talking about tough challenges. Lindsay and I are going to dive into boundary setting, social anxiety, people-pleasing, something I am so guilty of. So for all my people-pleasers out there, this will be a good one for you. And also, and most importantly, owning and accepting what you are going through. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I hope you are too. Let's dive right into this important conversation about mental health with therapist Lindsay Fleming. 
Okay, Lindsay, AKA the coolest, most relatable fun therapist I've ever seen. You're here, you're on RealPod. I'm so excited. I feel like this has been such a long time coming. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I listen to your podcast all the time. So it's weird to be on the other side of things, but I'm ready. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I'm already excited because you have the Chicago accent, which I love. I think it's like the most charming thing ever. And my family is from Chicago. So I was like, this is going to be great as well because I love her voice. (laughs) That's hilarious. I do find it funny to hear when I'm on my lives on TikTok, people often like guess where I'm from and to hear where people from outside of the U.S. think I'm from. They're like New York or like accents we know like so well in the U.S. And I'm like, no, the Midwest. Right. I love it so much. I almost wish like I had a heavier Midwest accent. I have some of the things like pop and doc, Mm -hmm. some of those like classics just because my family's there. But other than that, no, I'm just, I'm boring. I have normal accent, but I'm so excited to have you. And I feel like this is going to be such a fun conversation because one, I love therapy. Clearly you love therapy. You're a therapist Mm -hmm. and we can just dive into all of these important topics that I think are so necessary right now and also talk about them in a really relatable, easy to understand way. Because a lot of times when it comes to mental health, people worry, is it going to be so formal and serious? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to get rid of the stigma by just normalizing it. And you do a great job of that. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's huge. The normalizing. I feel like a lot of people are fearful. It's just so unknown. Exactly. So how did you even find your passion for mental health and all of this in the first place? Did you always want to be a therapist? Did you have a life event that changed you? What's the backstory there? Yeah. So I knew I always wanted to be in the helping profession. I always knew I wanted to work with kids. So it's just kind of a matter of figuring out what career path I would go down that road. And at first I always wanted to be a teacher. I'm dyslexic. So it's really hard for me to spell. And I don't know what went through my brain in high school, but I was like, I can't be a teacher. I can't spell. I'm like, why don't I be a therapist? Like, I don't know why I thought I can't be a teacher, but I can be a therapist. But so that made me think of down that path. And I had seen a couple like school therapists for a few times, but nothing really stuck. And I remember sitting in one therapy office and she was like, you know, it's, I was very fearful of like, I'd be walking home and if a car drove past, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to kidnap me. And that was always my like automatic thought. And so her approach was, you know, the ceiling could fall in, but it's probably not going to. And was like, you could get kidnapped, but you're probably not going to. And that just like heightened my anxiety and was not working. And she didn't try any other techniques. And so what I did was I was like, yep, mom, I'm fine. Like I don't need to go anymore. And you know, I think it just made me feel like there has to be a way to help people who feel like me. And I just wanted to be able to do that, get what I didn't get at that age. Interesting. You were like, okay, I can do this better because I did not get the help or the words of wisdom that I needed. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to try it differently. Did you try different therapists or was it just never aligned? You know, I think because, and this is a big thing in mental health, too I think because I was such a people pleaser that it was masked a lot or it actually like kept me out of trouble so you know it kept me from drinking when I was in high school and like talking to boys because I'd feel nervous so I think in some senses my mom was like well if it's keeping you out of trouble I feel like you're okay and my grades were good and you know I always was a happy kid so I think the anxiety piece it wasn't thought of as it was impacting me as much as it was because they're so internalized in my thoughts that I think that 
you know, I went to a few school ones and it just still wasn't clicking. And I was like, well, I've made it this far. I might as well keep going. But then in grad school, I decided because when you're in grad school, you're talking about mental health 24 seven, it can also be triggering. And so my anxiety was getting a little bit worse and I noticed it. And one of my teachers had said, I wish our program required therapists to go to therapy. And I was like, you know what? I should go. Like, I'm here going to be preaching to people. Like, I need to know what it feels like to be on that other side of the chair. And I remember in grad school, I, you know, gave myself a pep talk before I went in. I'm like, I'm going to tell her everything. I'm going to go in. I know she cares. I know what it's like to be a therapist. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to just be as authentic and just tell my story. And I got in that chair and she's like, so it brings you in. I'm like, not sure. I don't know. I'm actually pretty good. Like all automatically yeah. was like, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. And I was like, I did not realize how hard it is to be sitting in that chair. So I think that really taught me a lot too about being a therapist. It's so important and it is so difficult to talk about what's going on. I can think of times where you know exactly what you need to talk about, exactly what you need to say, mm-hmm. but you know it's going to open an emotional portal that in that state, you just don't feel like you can handle it, even mm-hmm. though you probably can. Yes, definitely. And two, I had this still like this people pleaser, people pleaser mentality of, I really want my therapist to like me and I want her to think of me in a positive light. And that blocks therapy sometimes because then you're not really sharing your emotions or you're framing it in a way that's like, oh, but I'm okay. Or, and you're not really like doing what's best for you. I love this people pleaser topic because I relate. I think it's important. And I actually saw a quote the other day. I think you'll love this. It said, people pleasing, AKA trying to control how other people view me. Yes. Trying to control it. How have you grown with that? What are some thoughts or things you've learned about people pleasing? Because I think so many people can relate to this. I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to complain. Just treat mm-hmm. me like shit and let's just keep going. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, in school, I learned psychologically what's going on and how it is about control when it comes from a place of anxiety. And it's a, when it comes with trauma, there's also people pleasing and it comes from, you know, control as well. Like I don't want something unpredictable to happen. And for me, it was, I think I had this like aha moment. I was working at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago and one of someone I worked with was just like, did not like me no matter what I did, no matter what I said, like did not like me. And it bothered me so much. And I would dwell on it. And my Danny, my fiance now, he's my boyfriend at the time was like, everybody likes you. It works for this one person. Why do you care so much? And I'm like, I don't know, but I can't get it out of my thoughts. So I went to therapy, talked about it. And, you know, it was really hard for me to practice letting go. But, you know, once I let go of this person not liking me, it helped me build on that and say like, Hey, I can still enjoy work. I can still do well. And people can still like enjoy working with me and it doesn't have to be everyone. So I think that was a big, I made meaning out of that in a big way of now I'm very confident and set boundaries from the start and don't need everybody to agree with me or like me. I had the exact same conversation with my therapist. I feel like we're on such a same wavelength. (laughs) And it was about my public speaking because I speak at schools and I'm always looking for validation and how long did they clap or did people come up to ask me questions or did the athletic director say something positive? Like, did they like it? Did it help? And my therapist said, 10% of people are always going to hate you. 
Like they're just not mm-hmm. going to like you. So walk into every stadium and remind yourself that 10% of people you will not win over no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And it just has helped me. And if someone is like that girl you interact with, I'm just like, okay, cool. You're part of the 10%. And the other factor is like, we don't like everybody. So why should everybody like us? Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. And I think the more you step into that role of being authentically yourself, the more you're going to disagree with people and set those boundaries and say like, Hey, you didn't do this. And I needed you to do this instead of being like, Oh, I'm just not going to say anything. Cause I don't want them to be mad that I said something and we go down this rabbit hole. So this idea of like using your voice. And I think as women too, oftentimes it's sometimes it's harder to use our voice because it's quicker reactions of like, Oh, you're being mean or, or really, really are socialized at a young age to look at others to see like how well we're doing instead of internally. Like, did I use my voice how I wanted to? Yes. And the female portrayal is just please serve, keep the house. Like if we date this back, it's all about how you as the female can be submissive and quiet and polite and serve those around you. And I even see like with my mom, you know, she is just always pleasing, always helping people. And I feel like I'm always telling her mom, it's okay to just say, no, I'm not going to do this for you. And so it's cool to, you know, also have someone in your life who you are both working on like setting boundaries and making those changes What's advice for someone who needs to muster up that courage to kind of put their foot down and say, I don't like being treated this way, or I want to be invited to the all-male lunch during the workday? Yeah. My biggest thing is, you know, baby steps. Like that's what I say a lot on TikTok. And it really rings true because I love my favorite, one of my favorite types of therapy is exposure therapy, where essentially we're exposing ourselves to the thing that makes us uncomfortable, sitting in that uncomfortableness and realizing like, wow, I can handle this. The biggest part about exposure therapy is you have to start in places that cause you a little discomfort, but not too much where then you don't feel successful. So I think it's really about taking those small steps and working your way towards using your voice and getting comfortable in that space. So if somebody is trying to do that, it would start really small. And with feelings, I think a lot of times, oh, I'm fine. It could be as simple as saying like, you know, I'm not okay, but I don't want to talk about it. But I'm just letting you know, like I'm not doing okay. So again, it's like that baby step of, I'm not going to say I'm fine when my friend asks me if I'm okay, but I also am not ready to dive into it. So I'm going to set that boundary of saying like, you know, it's been a hard week, but that's okay. I don't really want to talk about it. How are you doing? And kind of redirecting the conversation, but just putting yourself in that vulnerable place for a little bit. I love that. Is exposure therapy something people can practice without the guidance of a therapist or a counselor? And how so? Yeah, I think a lot of people, and you know, some people figure out coping skills on their own, right? And exposure therapy, the reason why I would always recommend, like a lot of times it's used for OCD and anxiety. And I really recommend going to a therapist for that just because there's parts to it where we create a ladder, a hierarchy of things that are hard for us. And we have to learn the skills to be in those moments, like how to manage our feelings. And this is where I see parents of kids with social anxiety, they'll force them to go to the party, right? That's essentially an exposure, but it's not going to be a successful one if the kid just walks away being like, I was anxious that whole time and I don't want to do it again. So you really have to do that prep work of, okay, I'm doing an exposure. This is going to be hard. Here's my plan for when it's hard. And afterwards, how do I feel right away after that? How do I feel an hour after that? So, I mean, I think there's little ways we can where like if you're afraid to 
go in the basement by yourself, try going in the basement by yourself and don't let those worries grow. And definitely that helps prevent anxiety too. And I think one of my, the medical director at the hospital I worked at, he said he wished he could put for anxious mom above every pediatrician, just like a Nike sign, like just do it because parents will call me, my kid's a little sick. Like, should I not send him to school? It's like, no, we don't want to teach kids. Like, just cause you're a little sick, we don't do something or they're a little hurt. We need to do like react so largely. And it's just, just do it. Just take them there. Just go do it. And even if you're scared, you can do it and be scared. Both can be true. It's like when you see those videos of the parents who knock on the door and pretend they're hitting the newborn's head and then the newborn <laughs> starts to cry. It's like that level of coddling. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I have actually done an exposure and I didn't even know that that was the terminology for it. But as you talked about it, I recalled a moment that I was feeling a lot of anxiety around my volleyball games and the volleyball gym at USC. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things my mentor at the time recommended to me, and maybe she knew this was exposure therapy, but I didn't, was to go to the gym because the smell was triggering to me. Just mm-hmm. walking in and smelling the cold concrete made me think of 6 a.m. running, made me think of the performance pressure. And so I remember just sitting in the auditorium on a random day and just closing my eyes and smelling and thinking I'm okay. And I'm safe with this smell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is 100% exposure therapy. And that is exactly how we do it. So instead of saying, Hey, get in there and go during a game, we start small and like, let's handle the smell piece. And then let's handle this. And we add on as you can handle it. So it's like meeting the client where they're at. Something about your teaching I really think is impactful is how organized it is. I notice in a lot of your videos and your content, you talk about writing down how you feel or journaling about things and getting really organized about mm-hmm. where the emotions are coming from and how you know one can handle that. Are there any off the top of your head that you think are just great basic pen to paper strategies that people can try? Yeah. Labeling your feelings. Like I think people will tell me, I remember I had a couple of clients do this where they'll tell me like, Lindsay, no, I was anxious all week. I'm telling you, I was anxious all week. I'm like, all right, let's map it out. I'll have them literally write out their day each day, the whole week. And I want them to rate their anxiety level for each time. And then they look and they're like, wait a minute, I'm only anxious at night. I'm like, oh, so we aren't anxious all day, but all we're focusing <laughs> on is that. And of course, at the end of the day, if you're anxious, there goes the whole day. You just remember it through anxiety goggles. So I often say like that is a piece where we got to be more aware and acknowledge what we're feeling in the moment. That's so important. And I feel like I'm being low-key called out because you would not know this, but <laughs> I am guilty of being like, oh my gosh, I have the craziest day tomorrow. I have absolutely no time. No one call me or talk to me. And then I look at my to-do list and I have like four things to do, but they're each going to take like an hour and then I'm going to have the rest of the day to hang. So it's funny how our mind can create a story or a feeling or a concept that's so not accurate. Yeah. And that is where I think, you know, something about writing it down and being able to see it really helps your brain understand it. And at the end of the day, kids tell me all the time they have trouble, teens tell me they have trouble sleeping at night. And, you know, my first thing is put your phone down. But after that, if they're still struggling, like write down these worries, write down these thoughts. And especially for anyone struggling with anxiety at night, I say, let's table it write it down. And then if it's really important that you think about this, we'll think about it in the morning when you're, when you're in your best mental state. So it's the idea too, of finding what works best for your brain. You're not going to problem solve or figure out whatever's making you anxious at night. Cause you know, and you can label it in that moment. Like 
of course I'm thinking, overthinking this. Like it's nighttime and I'm anxious and just kind of accepting that it's there, writing it down and looking back at it the next day. On the same topic of exposure therapy, Mm -hmm. that usually is a skill to help with trauma, some sort of trauma, whether it's big or little. And I want to have a conversation with you about trauma because I've been learning recently that there's little trauma as well as big trauma. And I'm definitely guilty of being like, well, I never had to watch someone die in front of me. So I've never experienced trauma when the reality is I have, but it's not the extreme thing I make it out to be. So Mm -hmm. what is trauma? Let's break it down. And then I want to talk about this. Yeah. So I think one thing people don't recognize is that they feel like trauma is about the event, right? So people are like, oh, that happened to you, that must have traumatized you or that couldn't have traumatized you. And really it's never about the event. It's about how the event impacted our brain and our thinking. And so I think that is something that people, you know, often like me and my sister can both have the same thing happen to us and we're both going to have completely different experiences and reactions. So one is that everybody is different. And then two, it's again, normalizing mental health is health. Because the idea of like, just because someone only needs an inhaler, maybe for asthma every once in a while, and someone who needs it constantly with them, does that mean we shouldn't give an inhaler to someone just because they don't need it all the time? And then they end up in the hospital? Like, no. So it's this idea too of not comparing trauma and comparing our struggles, because that just puts you in such a place like we're taught so at such a young age to compare, 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 but within, when it comes to mental health, struggling is struggling. Trauma is trauma. No matter what it is, it's impacting you. And that's, what's important. I think with that piece and the piece too, of there's so much different kinds of trauma. And I put up a post and I got a lot of, so I'm like, um, I put up a post that we often think of trauma as military veterans with PTSD. And I put up a post trying to explain kind of that trauma can happen to anyone. And I got you know, some people who were getting a little defensive and it's like someone else's trauma doesn't take away from your trauma. And, you know, I come from, my brother was a Marine and I know that the military can be really traumatic and, but still even within, I think ourselves in our field, we don't recognize like community trauma is huge too that people don't know about. And if you don't feel safe walking to school, that impacts the way your brain functions and it can impact you in class. And so there's trauma everywhere. And it's impacting us everywhere. And another one that I think people don't know about is exposing ourselves on media. So before we never had this where, you know, when 9-11 happened, we were watching that this happen on TV everywhere and we're watching it. And now on TikTok, like I'll be scrolling and all of a sudden it could be something so triggering and we can get secondary trauma from viewing something. And I don't think there's enough education for kids. Young teens are coming to me saying like, I saw this on TikTok. Is this true? And it could be something so scary and they're too scared to ask their parents because they don't want the app taken away. So it's like, still there's this blockage of kids are being exposed to things and we're not really teaching them what to do with it. My favorite part of what you said is how the situation will affect people differently. You gave the reference of your sister. And I think there's an important piece of the puzzle that you could have the domino pieces being lined up So that when one moment happens, it knocks them all over and it triggers something traumatic for you when maybe that given moment in someone else's story might have just been one domino placed in the line. And I feel like that hits home for me and I hope so for a lot of other listeners. And along with this idea of minimizing our feelings, especially right now, it's so easy to minimize our emotions. I mean, there I could name a million problems and people who 
need priority over me right now because I have white privilege and I have thin privilege and I have all these different things that give me privilege. Mm -hmm. It's important for us to acknowledge and have perspective that other people are suffering as well. And that suffering might be more severe, but that doesn't mean that a problem I have is still not a problem, like no matter how small it is. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, when I do talk a lot about white privilege specifically, a lot of people think that it takes away from their struggle, right? And, and it doesn't, you know, and we all have privilege in some form and it looks different for everyone. We all struggle differently. And so it is about taking perspective and you can recognize, you need to recognize other people have struggles that look different and have privileges that look different and it doesn't take away from your own. I want to share a quote with you on this that I think that I found today and I thought it was cool and I wanted to share it with you. And it's obviously about mental health in general, but I think trauma and coping mechanisms as well. And this quote says, oh, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this too is because I love that you post a lot about how to deal with an ex or a bad breakup because it is something that so many young people deal with and don't know how to rationalize the situation, especially when you're 16, 17 and you think you're going to marry this person and then they treat you terribly and you realize you have a whole life ahead of you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so this quote that I saw today is, do you love them or do you want them to fill a void? Yes. And I talk to my, so many of my teen clients about that, the idea of a relationship, right. And the idea of, and I got, you know, I posted about this and that like, you are in charge of your own happiness. Like a significant other can come in and they can help you definitely, but your happiness really is your responsibility. And I think, you know, when we lean on a partner, we can become codependent. It's about like, hey, this is how you can help me through these moments, but you also have to do the work within yourself, definitely, in order to get to a place where your relationship can be really healthy and that person can be in that place where you're not relying on them, but they can definitely make a difference in your support system. So they're like an addition to maybe the ice cream sundae that is you and your happiness, but you don't need them to be kind of the base. And Mm -hmm. it's an important lesson. I feel like, through experience and breakups and different boys, I kind of learned. And then even finding Max, my current boyfriend, who I believe is my person, which we can talk about love later. And I'm so happy you're engaged, um, is realizing like, I love him and I think he's my soulmate, but I have to know at the end of the day that I could be okay without him. And that doesn't mean I don't love him. And that doesn't mean that our love isn't storybook. It just means I'm being real about it. And that's, that's a healthy relationship to have. I think toxic relationships are so well disguised in rom-coms and TV shows. And we think it's how we're supposed to be loved. I mean, I see you nodding. I'll let you take it away. No, yeah, exactly. And it's too, right. So where do we get our information about relationships, right? So who's around us? Who's modeling healthy relationships for us? And then also what are we intaking through media? You know, we talk about you always with your real posts and talking about two real posts about, we see these, YouTube families or we see these Instagram couples and, you know, what they're posting is not how everything is going. So we get these messages, right? That this is how we should compare our life and this is how we should compare our partner. And it is not realistic. And nobody, like, think about it. Is there anybody in your whole life who you get along with perfectly when you're being authentically yourself? And so how can we expect to find this person who's just supposed to agree with everything, like all of our ideals, and we're supposed to get along with everything. And, you know, that's not realistic. And so it's more so 
finding that perfect person is someone that you want to push through those hard times with and that you have healthy communication and you guys really are trying to be the best for each other and work together and both putting in the same amount of effort. We need to talk more about what does a healthy relationship look like versus what is a toxic relationship or relationship that is not helping our mental health or, or helping us. Yes. And the social media component is such an important factor because we look at it and then we compare and we contrast. And one of your beliefs, which I agree with, is that social media doesn't cause anxiety and depression. I'll let you expand on that because I thought this was a really polarizing take and had a lot of great points. Yeah. So, you know, I believe that social media, it's all about how you use it and who the person is, right? So again, we talk about how trauma impacts us differently. Same thing with social media. Some people can see these things that I was talking about on social media. Some people can look at people and still love themselves and their bodies and other people, it impacts them differently or more. And so, you know, when we look at the research of what, and it says like there's a specific amount of time you use. So if you use more than three hours a day of social media, it's more likely it's going to make you feel anxious or depressed. If you're looking at accounts that make you feel negative about your body, it's going to be more likely. If you're using multiple platforms, it's more likely. And I think we forget about the part where some people, there are really positive things on social media that are really great and make people feel not alone and make people feel heard and understood and give people a voice who haven't had a voice before. So I think we can't just write off social media. It needs to be like nutrition and all these other things in our life that we talk about. How do we do it in a healthy way? Yes. The choice. It's just, how do we choose to use it? Who do we choose to follow? I, you know, a lot of people feel inclined to be following every Kardashian because you have to stay up with the memo, but it's like, it's not like illegal. If you unfollow Kylie, like you can do that if it's going to help you. And then you can always refollow. I think detoxifying and decluttering social media is so important. And that difference is pivotal and something that people need to understand is it's how do you use the device? Because have you seen The Social Dilemma? Yes. I still actually haven't finished it, but I've seen the majority of it. That's funny. I did the Mm -hmm. same thing. I left like 40 (laughs) minutes. I don't know. It was so much of the same thing. I was getting like weirdly Mm -hmm. scared and claustrophobic. I was like, I'm going to come back to this later. But I have had people say, oh, I just deleted everything after watching that. And I'm thinking, I get that, but, or you could take from it like you know, you're being manipulated by what you see online. And so how can you use your platform in a smarter Mm -hmm. way? Yeah. And I think too, I hope, so parents, right? There's this huge fear of certain apps and like some parents are like, oh, I let my kid have everything. And some parents are like terrified of social media and think it's the root of all their kids' problems. And I'm not saying it does not impact teens. I think So what we need to understand is how it's impacting them and parents will get so stuck in taking the phone away and then giving it back and then taking the phone away. And my thought on that is you're not teaching them though, how to regulate it themselves. You're not teaching them, you know, they're going to go away or be 18 and then what? So it's about how do we help our teenagers? Every kid's different, right? So I always recommend if depending on what age parents give their kids social media, you know, have an account and just be on there as like viewing so they kind of know that there's an authority figure watching. And I think, you know, parents can be so disconnected from social media and it's important that they kind of know what is going on in social media world and what kids are talking about and posting. So it's about how do we start 
in one place and help our child get to a place where they are using social media in a good way, a positive experience. Speaking of parents and looping in coaches and authority figures as well, how do we communicate with those people about what we're struggling with? How do I go talk to someone who intimidates me or who is in charge of my life or my playing time and tell them what's going on with me? Because it can be really hard to have those conversations. And I think a lot of anxiety around owning what we're going through comes from this, well, what is X person going to say or how are they going to look at me now? Yeah, definitely. And that's where I really focus on kind of what I do with my clients is we map out literally what they want to say. And I always say, I think something that kids maybe don't know or teens or parents, it's this idea of like, have your support system ready. So if you are going to have a hard conversation with your coach, you can't control how they respond. If you are going to have a hard conversation with your parents, you cannot control how they're going to respond. You can only control your actions. So it's this idea of, okay, um, I'm going to have this hard conversation. How do I prep myself best? So I think having your support system ready is a important thing. And then also... Is that like having best friends ready to FaceTime or pick you up Mm -hmm. for ice cream? Okay. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And so then I think, you know, it's about, you can practice it in the shower. You can practice it as much as you want. And I always say, do it in the way you feel comfortable. So you don't have to talk face-to-face with your coach if that's too hard to start the conversation. Maybe you send them an email. Maybe you give them a call or, or say like, hey, can I text you about something, like depending on your relationship with your coach or how they communicate, I think it's about doing it in the way you feel the most comfortable and really just recognizing like, hey, you don't have to tell them everything. They just have to understand what you're going through a little bit. So I think that's a great point. That's a great point. They don't have to know your whole story and there's pieces that you may want to share, but just saying like, hey, this is what's been impacting me. This is how it's showing up in the sport or at home. And this is what I think could be helpful. Do you have any ideas or I'm not sure what to do to help myself? And, you know, in cheerleading, when I coach cheerleading, there's so much of a mental piece to tumbling and and gymnastics, essentially like that piece of it. And I'd get girls who would have tumbling blocks or they just couldn't flip their body over. And, you know, they would get so hard on themselves and so mad. And so assuming what my thoughts were like, I know you're disappointed in me. I'm like, I'm not in my head. What I'm thinking is how do I help you? How do I get you out of this? stuck place. So also reminding yourself like not to assume what your coach is thinking or your parents are thinking. And you can always ask like, you know, this is really hard for me to say, like, I'm worried about how you are going to view me now as an athlete. And you can say those hard questions and put it out there. So you don't have to just sit at night and think about it. Speaking of all the clients you work with, how do you navigate the emotional space capacity that you have to have these conversations every day because I obviously love mental health and I think in a, in some other world very close to this I would have loved to maybe be a therapist or a counselor as well but I just feel like I would want to hug them I would be crying with them and it's even <laughs> hard for me when I have my best friend call me about this problem and then my mom needs help with this and then I need help with something. And then I'm like, I don't even have the emotional space. How do you manage that as a therapist, Mm -hmm. seeing people every day back to back? And is that advice that could parlay to work with someone like me or someone listening? Yeah, I think, you know, my biggest thing is there's a difference 
between helping someone and really putting yourself in their shoes. So I can understand your world and I can understand you, but I, and to be there for you best, I can't take on that emotion. So I think what a lot of people do is, and we talk about this too, like you could watch someone getting bullied. And if you're really anxious, really such an um, empathetic person, it could be as if that happened to you. Like that's the response you can have because of how much you are empathetic and put yourself in their shoes, but that doesn't help the situation. So as therapists were taught, like you can understand their world and you don't have to put yourself fully in there and, and be in that emotional place. So what I do is I try to fill up my cup you know, there's that saying, like, your cup has to be full before you can help other people. You got to put your oxygen mask on before you can put someone else's. So if I notice that I've been, you know, I, I have my warning signs. So if I'm like more irritable or more tearful, like the other day I was watching adults telling their parents they're pregnant, right? As surprises, like grandpa, you're going to be a grandparent. And I'm like crying. I'm like, why am I crying? Watching people announce that they're pregnant. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I need to do self-care. So I have my warning signs and I'm like, I, I need to get up early tomorrow. I need to put my phone down. I need to go for a walk. So it's about monitoring yourself and being really in tune with yourself and recognizing when your body is telling you like, Hey, you need a break. And that might also look like me being like, Hey, I kind of need not to post so much and my clients come first. So like I won't post so much or I might need to take a vacation or a break or this weekend, not do anything with people and just relax and be. The warning signs is a great tip. And it's cool that you know yours so well. I'm trying to think if I have even any warning signs I know. I think, unfortunately for me, I'm at a place where like, I have to feel it. Like it gets me, it sneaks up on me. And then 48 <laughs> hours later, when I'm like in the pit of darkness, I'm like, oh, it's, she's here. So I need, to <laughs> do, I need to get to a place where I can see her coming. Yes. And that just takes time, I'm assuming. <laughs> yes. Time and really being in tune with your emotions. So like little things like irritability, headaches, stomach aches, if you feel yourself, like things that don't normally annoy you, all of a sudden annoy you more. And, and sometimes you chalk it up to it's just one of those days. But if you're having a couple of those days in a row, that's usually like a warning sign, like, oh, or I might know my schedule is going to be really busy this week. So there's that anticipatory anxiety of the week. And so for me, I might need to get really organized to be like, all right, let me plan out my week so I don't get overwhelmed. So it's like prep work and really checking in with yourself often and saying like, how am I feeling? How have I been feeling lately? I just had a fun question pop in my mm -hmm. head as you were giving that answer. And throughout this episode, I've just been thinking about how well-spoken you are and how you have all these great tips and tricks. And obviously you're extremely self-aware. I think to be a licensed therapist and know what you know, you have to be very self-aware. Do you ever struggle with implementing like the best way to go about a situation in your own life? Because, oh, yeah. I, because yeah. I yeah. think I, I had like an <laughs> aha moment when me and Danny, my fiance, were arguing one, arguing one day and he was like, he looked at me and he said something like, I was, I was totally the one in the wrong. And he, and he was like, you know, I'm just trying to figure out like how we can come to a solution. And I paused. I'm like, oh my gosh, you are actually like doing everything right right now. And I'm just annoyed with you. And I'm just like finding things to be mad at you for. And I'm like, right. oh, I'm the one who's a therapist. And he's like, it's so, like, he's way more calm than me. And so it's funny to me too, where I have to like check myself and be like, oh my goodness, like I, I need to take my own advice. And especially with sleeping, I think and being organized, like I 
there are times where I'll kind of like fall off and I'm not organized and I know it. And then I, I see the symptoms where I'm like all over the place. And I did a TikTok where like I booked two clients at the same time. And I'm like, and then I get so mad at myself and I'm like, okay, don't get mad at yourself. Just remind you, you need to get organized again. So I think it's about, yeah, I'm pretty self-aware, but there are definitely times, especially if like me and Danny don't agree on something where I find myself like he is way better at regulating his emotions in those moments. And I'll be like, okay, I just need 10 minutes. And then we can come back to this conversation. I'll be in a way better place to talk about it. That is something that I found very helpful is just being like, you know what? I need to not talk to you until dinner time. And yeah. I have done that in like my relationships as well. And I'm definitely like, I want to fix things on the spot. I want the answer right now. Mm-hmm. I want to be done with it and I want to win. Like I just, you know, and it's, it's yeah. important to be like, you know what? I'm not in a place where I can be mature. I can do what I know I should do. Mm-hmm. So let's pause. I love you. We're going to be fine, but I can't yeah. talk about this until tonight at five. <laughs> Literally, that's my biggest <laughs> thing now. And, and it's funny because at first, like you have to also know how your partner communicates. And for me, is like Danny's family is a lot. And it talk like how you grow up, how you learn to regulate your emotions is oftentimes by who we are around. And my family, we're very Irish. And it's like, no one has emotions. You sweep everything under the rug and you don't really? talk. Oh yeah. Like I like me and my sister, like we'd fight or something or, and with my parents, even like I mean, my dad would fight and then it'd be like, act like nothing happened. There's never another conversation about what happened and his family is complete opposite. You talk, you apologize, you talk again. And so when we first started, when we first got together and we started like arguing, my brain would just shut down. I'm like, I don't even have the language for this moment. And he'd be like, just say something, just say something. I'm like, I can't, I don't know what to say. So two, and then I'd be like, I just need time to process my emotions and understand them. And then we could have this conversation. So, and now he knows that. So he'll be like, okay, you need five minutes. We'll come back to it in five minutes. Then he'll come in like, hey, and like kind of wait. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm ready to talk about it. And then we'll have, and now it's like, we don't really fight, like things come up, but you know, we've gotten to a place where we're in a routine of we know what works best for each other and when to kind of let things go and when we need to have bigger conversations. It's so inspiring to hear that that was your emotional upbringing. And then here you are now talking about this stuff (laughs) all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is inspirational to anyone (laughs) listening who feels like they don't do well opening up with feelings. That's part of the growth mindset, right? It's like, instead Mm -hmm. of, oh, I'm not good at talking about my feelings. It's right now, I'm not great at this, but I think I can get better with time. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. And part of that was, I didn't know my feelings. And I remember my therapist being like, well, what are you feeling right now? I'm like, if you ask me that in my head, of course it in front, cause people think I'm like, I don't know. But in my head, I'm like, if she asks me that one more time, lady, I don't know what I'm feeling. That's why I'm here. <laughs> you know? So I get so frustrated. Right. It's like, she can't tell me what I'm feeling. I have to figure it out for myself. So You're like, I I'm think, here for the answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> As I know that's not what therapy is. So I yeah. think, you know, it, it is hard. And my dad is an immigrant from Ireland and culturally like Irish parents don't praise their over praise their kids or things like that. So it's like too hard being in an environment where a lot of my peers would have different like interactions with their parents. And then for me, it'd be different at home. And so just like with the way we talk about feeling language and having that language, I didn't have that language to say like, I'm anxious right now, or I'm frustrated right now. And so I think that is really big with Freud who created, I think it was him who created like the psychology field and all that stuff. One of the first people, a lot, very problematic guy. But one thing he did say was like, 
the Irish are the only people who therapy won't work for because they're so stubborn and set in their ways. So I think, you know, that's a big piece too. this culturally as a therapist and as a person, you know, you have to understand too, where some of these things are coming from. We think it's just us and it could be generational or family dynamic. Out of curiosity, was that weird in high school when you were like, I want to be a therapist, mom and dad? (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah, I think my dad's philosophy though, it's funny because like my parents were never big on grades. Like that pressure came from myself for sure. And I say like my dad in college was so excited because I got my phone screen fixed for $40 and he's like that's my daughter and you could ask him what my grades were for anything and he'd be like "Ah." so when I said I want to be a therapist my dad was just like listen you can you'll be successful at whatever you do as long as you love it so if you really think you can do it and you want to do it go for it I don't and you know they weren't so they were never like you should do this or that it was very much like whatever you want to do go for it so that was like an interesting experience. It is good. But at the same time, I'd be like, I don't know if this is the right choice. I'm just going to make it and kind of wing it. (laughs) I guess on that note, let's just end with any advice to anyone who's struggling to figure out their own purpose. Yeah. You don't need to know right now. I think, you know, only 10% of the population sticks with one career. So oftentimes I hear people say in 16 year olds being like, well, I need to know what I want to do when I'm older. You don't. You need to know what you want to do for right now. And I think I learned, I volunteer coached a cheer team for years and people were like, why are you doing that? You're not making money and you're in grad school. And it taught me how to run a business. So when I started my practice, I'm like, oh, this is what I need. This is what I need. And so we get so stuck. And if I got so stuck and like, I only wanted to do this piece, then I would have missed out on so many other opportunities. And naturally people move career choices. So instead of asking yourself, like, I don't know what my passion is for life. Say, what what am I into right now? What do I want to do right now? I love that. (laughs) So important. I'm so with that. Lindsay, thank you so much. This was so fun to talk to you. I feel like we covered every base. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being on here and I love all of your posts. So I'm sure we'll be collabing more in the future. I look forward to that. If you enjoyed this episode of RealPod, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to keep up with Lindsay, you can follow her on Instagram at Lindsay underscore Fleming LPC and also on TikTok at Lindsay Fleming if you want to receive her amazing content every single day that just makes everyone feel so much better about their mental health. So make sure you go follow Lindsay and check out all of her amazing content. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Real Pod. Also send this to a friend or a teammate or anyone that you think could benefit from this conversation today if it helped you. I will be back here every single Wednesday bringing you new guests and episodes. So don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again. And as always, keep it real.